Hello again, everybody, and welcome to this championship weekend edition of the AUDL podcast. Hope you can hear it in my voice. Very excited as I record this in my home on Friday morning, getting set to head to the airport to travel across the country to call the biggest games of the year, which for me personally will be the sixth championship weekend in a row. It is truly a privilege and an honor, and I am genuinely very very excited about it. And we've got a fascinating quartet of teams that are going to be there that have all sorts of different storylines at a, at a location where we've we've certainly been at before, Foothill College, the home of the San Jose Spiders. But I've just got a, a hunch that with the AUDL intellectual property that is in the Bay Area with the owner of the Spiders, Andrew Zill, and the, the chairman of the league, Rob Lloyd, and his staff, this is going to be a pretty special championship weekend. And obviously, it all comes down to crowning a champion, which we will do on Sunday afternoon. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. My name is Evan Lepler. Assume you knew that already. The weekend begins on Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Pacific time. That's 7 o'clock Eastern time with the New York Empire and the Indianapolis Alley Cats. And then three hours after that, the Dallas Roughnecks and the San Diego Growlers presumably around 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock local. We continue on Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon local time with the championship game. Seems like everyone's predicting New York and Dallas. They are certainly the favorites in my mind, but I think the underdogs still have very good chances. And I think one of the reasons that this championship weekend is so interesting and really one of the reasons that this season has been as interesting as it's been is because think about when we started the playoffs there were 10 teams in the playoffs and it would not have been shocking for any of those 10 teams to still be standing at championship weekend obviously New York is the favorite they're the undefeated team they're going for history they're supremely talented but Toronto certainly capable of beating New York they couldn't do it but that doesn't mean they weren't capable of doing it. I don't think anyone would have been shocked to see Toronto beat New York. They were close to doing it. And obviously, D.C., they gave New York three great games during the regular season, had a game stolen from them by the officials, you could argue, had another game where they had a five-goal lead in the second half and let it slip away. D.C. certainly capable of beating New York, even though they couldn't do it. Credit goes to New York for getting the job done. But the point is... Anybody could have made it, and in the Midwest, anybody could have made it. It turned out to be the top seed, but Chicago and Pittsburgh both had strong teams, both beat Indy during the regular season, so it would not have been a shocker at all. And similar stories in the South and in the West. In the South, the only division in the league where the number one seed did not advance the championship weekend, and that's because the Dallas Roughnecks played their best game of the year on Raleigh's home turf. The Flyers floundered again. And frustration for the Flyers leads to a South Division coronation for the Roughnecks. And hey, they're back again, their fourth year in a row at Championship Weekend, with it feels like a little bit of a different brand of hunger this year. We've seen an enthusiasm in the comments that the players have made that look, that you're enthusiastic to make a Championship Weekend every year, but there's a, a different tinge of urgency 
among the Roughnecks this year. Because if they don't win, then it's just their third year in a row falling short at championship weekend. And to be that close and fall short, I don't mean to take an AFC East shot at my friends in Buffalo, but ask the Bills how that felt like. Really old reference for those of you who are caring about football in the early 90s when they lost four Super Bowls in a row. Still hard to believe that that happened. But the Dallas Roughnecks certainly won a, won a Super Bowl, won an AUDL championship in 2016, set the standard in the sport, a standard that New York is trying to match this weekend. And obviously the Empire have not been nearly as dominant throughout the season as the Roughnecks were in 2016. But it's a different league now, and that'll be an interesting conversation. And it's only a conversation if New York wins the title. Then we can have the conversation Dallas 2016, New York 2019, maybe a throw Toronto 2013, the only other undefeated team into the mix. But, you know, there is a, a slight symmetry. Every three years, you have an undefeated team 2013 Toronto, 2016 Dallas, 2019 New York. If the Empire can get the job done, which in my mind is is certainly not an inevitability. So, uh, the, and, and in the West Division, obviously, San Diego, look, they lost their last regular season meeting with L.A. Those two teams are very close on paper, and L.A. gave their best shot in the West Division championship game that we were there for on July 20th, and the Growlers just played a better game. And I'm pretty fascinated to see how the Growlers fare at championship weekend because you know just read through all the different interviews that were posted on the AUDL.com compiled by Lewis Zatzman did a really nice job if you haven't read them you should check it out there's a sentiment from the four interviews with players on each of the four championship weekend teams that stands out to me and I don't know how significant it is but I, I do think it's worth mentioning and the, the tone I got generally from the four interviews was that New York and Dallas, both conversations kind of stressed that there was more work to do. Whereas San Diego and Indy's interviews stressed that championship weekend is a little bit more of a celebration. It's a successful season. We've reached our goal We've gotten to a place that we've never been before, 2012 excluded, and the league was so different that then. I like to exclude that. I think that should be excluded for Indy's sake. This is the greatest season in Alley Cats history. I mean, they were 8-8 eight and eight in 20, uh, 2012 and then made it to the championship game against the Philadelphia Spinners. So that that seems like a an outlier in a, in a time when the league was in a very, very, very different spot, and that, that obviously is true. Now, those separate sentiments, the, the different senses of urgency from New York and Dallas versus San Diego and Indy, I'm not sure if that's meaningful or not when, when the players step onto the field. Because I think it's easy to say, especially after the fact, if the favorites move on, oh, well, San Diego and Indy were just happy to be here. They weren't focused, yada, yada, yada. I think both San Diego and Indy will be focused. And I think in their minds, they would try to sell it as, look, there's no pressure on us. We're going to come out loose and free. And, you know, all the pressure is on New York and Dallas. Because if they don't win, it's a massive disappointment. And, and that dynamic is also true. So 
you know, it's a bit of a catch-22 in these types of situations. Is it good to go and loose as the underdog, or is it good to be the favorite? Technically, or traditionally, I would say it's better to be the favorite. That means you're, you have more talent. That means you're expected to win. And largely in athletics, the teams that are expected to win do win. Not always, but more often than not. And there's a reason they're expected to win, because they're the better teams. And and that's the sense I have when you look up and down the roster of New York and Dallas. New York, they're, they're very top-heavy, but they've got a much better midsection of the roster than perhaps we imagine heading into the season. Now, I don't think their they're 12 to 20 could match what the 2016 Dallas Roughnecks had, but we'll see. You know, Connor Klein has been a revelation. Jabron Meeser has stepped up significantly. The veterans on the D-line, Ryan and Mike Drost in particular, and, and Matt Lamar, this is a team that has a lot of professional depth deep into the second half of the roster. Dallas's depth is more of its youth. And you know, one of the things I like to think about heading into a championship weekend is the dynamic of, you know, who could be the breakout stars of the weekend? Who who has the most to gain this weekend? These are separate questions. And, you know, obviously you you try to not necessarily predict what's going to happen, but contemplate the different avenues that we could go down. Like, from the Dallas Roughnecks perspective, if Connor Olsen and Matt Arbach aren't stars already, this could be the weekend for they could become stars. And you know what? <laughs> They're not stars. Because I just, I just said Matt Marbach, I think, and his name is Zach Marbach. Did I say Matt? I thought I said Matt. Connor Olson and Zach Arbach have been fantastic for the Roughnecks, not just this year, but specifically this year. And you could argue Olson had kind of his breakout game last year in the semifinals against the New York Empire when the Roughnecks experienced some injuries. Kevin Richardson went down, and Olson came in at 19 years old, and everyone on the Roughnecks basically said, no, he didn't surprise us because we've been seeing this potential from him all year, both in practice and in games. But I'm not sure that game made him a star. This weekend could. And it, it comes down to consistency. It comes down to making the great play when it's there to be made. And, and that's something that we've seen from this Dallas team over the course of the season and in past years and the, the ability to, cause you're not always going to have an easy clap catch on the run. The defense is too good. And I know people like to give the AUDL flack for it's too easy to score. Defense has improved significantly and the shorter stall count and the silent stall count and the dynamic of a double team and the nature of the game the fast-paced style that many AUDL, deem, AUDL teams play, there inevitably are 50-50 plays in every game. And sometimes the disc goes up and everyone on the sideline is thinking, come on, dude, make a play. Make a play. Come on, we need you to make this play. 
And and that's the thing you say when it's basically a 50-50 or a 55-45 or whatever it may be. We've seen Olsen and Marbach make some of those plays. This could be the weekend for them where they make all the plays. And those two guys could be breakout stars for the weekend for Dallas. In terms of who has the most to gain from this weekend... Look, I think this New York team is going to be remembered fondly. I don't think there's any individual on New York that, like, really needs to win this game. Obviously, Bo Kittredge has won four championships already. This would be his fifth championship with his fourth team. It's a pretty pretty cool legacy, and you could argue, you know, it takes him into a different level of the Pantheon. But Bo is great regardless, and... I guess Jack Williams, you know, hasn't won an AUDL title, hasn't won a club title, won a U24 world title. You know, a guy like Jack, though, he's young. He's going to have a lot of chances. You could say the same thing for Ben Yacht, who has already won a college title and has won a club title and, you know, might be the MVP in the league this year, certainly in the top three or four conversation. You know, Grant Lindsley has already won an AUDL title. There are a lot of veterans on New York that – you know, if Matt Lamar or, or the Dross win their first AUDL title, that could change their legacies. But look, they're not among the very best players on the Empire. They're in the middle tier, and the middle tier is very good, and that could be the reason why the Empire do ultimately win. The players that I think have the most to gain from a legacy standpoint, the 2019 AUDL Championship weekend, play for Indianapolis. And specifically, I think it's Cameron Brock and Keenan Plew. Two of the four guys that have been around the league since it began in 2012, along with Travis Carpenter and Kyle Cox. Those are the four Alley Cats who've been on the team all eight years. And I say Brock and Plew specifically for this reason. Number one, or a couple reasons. Number one, they're both now in their 30s. So... I think they both can continue playing for a while, but you never know. Number two, statistically, they are among the greatest players in the history of the league. Cameron Brock, the all-time leader in goals, and it basically feels like he has lapped the field. Keenan Plue, the all-time leader in assists. He's played in 115 games, 358 assists, 283 goals. And while you know his, his overall numbers have gone down, he's still a very important player for this team. In, in Keenan Plew's last six games, including the playoffs, he's completed 223 out of 225 passes, 99.1 percent. And oh, by the way, he's second all-time in the AUDL in goals, along with being first in in the AUDL all-time in assists. For those who are just kind of learning about the Alley Cats this year and haven't paid attention over the past four, five, six years, there there are people that think that Keenan Plew should have been the AUDL MVP in 2013 instead of Goose Helton. And, you know, I wasn't following the league closely then, but in 2013, just to give you an idea, in 16 games, Keenan Plew had 61 goals, 58 assists, 7 Ds, was plus 101. Not bad. 
In 2013, Goose Helton. So I've got all my uh, roster charts in front of me. Goose played 16 games for Chicago. 26 goals, 43 assists, 37 Ds, plus 74. So obviously Helton, more well-rounded, a lot more defense that year. Uh, Plu had the higher offensive numbers, obviously, and the better plus-minus. Helton was the 2012 MVP, won it again in 2013. But Keenan Plu should be considered one of the best players that has played in this league, even if he's not anymore. Through the first five, six, seven years of his career, he was always respected, all Midwest division. The, the guy in the Alley Cats that I think opposing coaches felt they had to prepare for most and the guy that they felt made the Alley Cats go. Now, one of the reasons that the Alley Cats are in championship weekend this year is now they've got other guys that make them go. Rick Rose has improved. Keegan North has been a revelation. Alex Henderson at, uh, was he 19 or 20 years old? Yeah, he's just 19 years old. He won't be 20 until next March. Born March 9th, 2000. Just finished his freshman year of college. And he's a guy that has played exceedingly well lately. Completing 109 of his last 110 passes in the Alley Cats final four regular season games. Now he had four turnovers in the playoff game, but still had uh, big numbers that game combining for eight or nine scores, a couple of D's as well. Adding North and Henderson. And I mean, Levi Jacobs is another guy that has kind of come into his own for the Alley Cats offense. I mean, this is a guy who will be playing in his 70th career game in the AUDL on Saturday. So it's not like he's new to the league, but just a, a very solid season, 27 goals, 31 assists, played all 12 games. Completion percentage only at 90%, but that was a career high. And a quick sidebar, one of the dynamics that has made the Alley Cats better this year, they've had their best completion percentage as a team for the season in franchise history. This year, the Alley Cats completed 94.7% of their passes. They were 92.8 last year, 91% in 2017, 92% in 2016, 93% 2015, 92% in 2014. That's as far as the stats go back. So technically, since 2014, this is their best completion percentage. But I would have a hunch, considering the records and the style of play and and the the better that the league has gotten talent-wise and the value of maintaining possession of the disc has gotten more important. I would say educated guess that this is the best completion percentage the Alley Cats have had this year. And you look at the individual numbers across the board, they've got like eight or nine guys who have had their career best completion percentage year, including Keenan Plue, including Rick Gross, including Cameron Brock, including Travis Carpenter. Lots of guys have had their best year in terms of limiting turnovers. And part of that is the style that they've played this year. They've gotten more conservative. There's certainly a part of that that comes from playing a lot of their games indoors, knowing that they wanted to try to be conservative, and they had different levels of success with that because their team often says that they play better offense when they're outdoors as opposed to when they're indoors, which doesn't always make sense uh, logically, but that's how it's gone for them in certain games this year. 
to get back to the original point about Plue and Brock, two of the great players in the league, but two guys who, you know, their team won a bunch of games. The Alley Cats are 65 and 49 all time and 114 regular season games, 68 and 53 if you factor in the playoffs. But I think for their legacies, if they could win a title, it would transform how they are perceived. And let's be honest, winning a title transforms how you are perceived, especially if you've been a great player or you're one of the best players on the team. Now, I I would argue that Brock and Plue aren't the best players on the Alley Cats right now, but they're still very important players. And they're still very good. They're certainly in the top 10 best players on the team. No question about that. But the Alley Cats can be successful if they're not great. But if they are great, and look, the Alley Cats have disappointed me through the years. When they've had great opportunities in past seasons, they haven't always come through. And, and I think that has... that that perception or reality and I think the perception is reality that in the past from 2014 to 2018 when the Alley Cats had some great opportunities to seize control in the Midwest to get some big wins especially on the road they often would falter in those situations that that past has flavored how I've looked at them through certain periods of this 2019 season. And frankly, I'm not sure that's fair. I'm not sure I've done the best job in analyzing the Alley Cats this year because they have made substantive changes. They have more athletes on both sides of the disc. They're more conservative and explosive and have more height on both sides of the disc. So the Alley Cats, look, I, I don't think they're going to win the title this weekend. I think they are a, an underdog to New York. And, look, I think it'll it'll probably be, you know, somewhere between a four and seven goal game, depending on how it goes. Certainly I'm hoping that it's close because that's what we're rooting for. We're, I don't care who wins. I'm rooting for every game to go to double overtime, which is probably none of the coaches are rooting for that because – that would be stressful for them. For us, that would be amazing. So, players, if you're out there listening, double overtime. That's the goal because that is exhilarating stuff. Best game of the year in the AUDL this year was the double overtime game between Raleigh and New York. It was a privilege to be there. Thought for a while we might get a rematch of that game in the finals. Obviously, we will not. The Dallas Roughnecks had something to say about that. And while I don't know if the second best game of the year was the All-Star game, that was exciting as well. Uh, a different type of exciting. It was, there was the novelty of it. Uh, but all the best players in the league really playing hard, going down the stretch. A couple buzzer beaters both ways. I'm not sure if we really appreciated that. Uh, was it Kevin Brown to Antoine Davis at the end of regulation to force overtime? Maybe it was the end of overtime to force double OT. I don't know. It, it's been a long season. It all runs a, a little bit together. But 
We're rooting for close games is the point. If the Alley Cats were to somehow win the championship, it would transform the legacies for Brock and Plue more than it would transform anyone else's legacy that's playing this weekend. And, like, obviously, Travis Carpenter and Kyle Cox will enjoy it, too, and they're the longtime guys for the Alley Cats, too. But Kyle Cox has never been as critical of an on-field player. Now, he's been a, a captain for a very long time and a very well-respected leader in that Alley Cats locker room and on the sidelines and on the field. So, you know, that would be incredibly special for him. And every team has a narrative where it would be special to win the title. There's no question about that. For New York, new coach, these new players coming in. They've had so many disappointing seasons. They've fallen short at the end a bunch of times. If they could close out a perfect season and vault themselves among the league's elite all time, that would be special. For San Diego, I mean, this is a franchise that has probably embraced the concept of player development better than any in the league. Like, the the Alley Cats might reject that statement because they've obviously developed a lot of players as well. But this Growlers team has a lot of the same guys that were having 500 or below 500 years, 2016, 2017, 2018. And yes, they add a couple pieces this year, but guys have developed, and really they've developed their system and cohesion that has put them in this position to succeed. And I think it's fair to argue, oh, the West Division is down. They, but, no, they, they have improved. There's no question they have improved and, and, and gotten more cohesive and better as a team. And obviously they added in some outside talent too. Now the question is, how do they compare to the rest of the league? And I think it's a fair question, and I can't wait to find out. But I, I do think the Growlers have a little bit of the mystery factor. And that's not to say that the Roughnecks aren't going to be prepared for them, because if there's one uh, refrain, the Roughnecks have continued to uh, recite from a leadership standpoint since the Raleigh game and heading into championship weekend, it's that we did not prepare well enough last year. We did not prepare well enough during the season. Now we, we, we prepared in a very different way for the South Championship game against Raleigh. It paid off. Now we need to realize, and now we've learned how we can prepare for the next couple games, which, you know, I'd be shocked if the Roughnecks don't already have their game plan set for New York or Indy. And that's not to say they're confident they're going to beat San Diego, but I feel like last year the Roughnecks felt like they were ready for New York and gave New York their best shot and beat them and then didn't have the best game plan for Madison, especially when their two big guys, Emmons and Richardson, went down. So that has kind of been the rallying cry. And everyone who I've talked to with the Roughnecks and everyone who's really talked about this Roughnecks team from internally has stressed the importance of the preparation that they've done and the scouting and the game planning and trying to put their teams in the best positions. You know, I'm just kind of rambling on different tangents now, but one thing that I'm most curious about for the Roughnecks is how they orient their lineups because Jay Fruit and Kai Marshall played mostly D in the South Division title game against Raleigh. And look, 
San Diego is a little similar to Raleigh offensively in terms of the dynamic cutters that they have. With Sean Hamm and Jesse Cohen and Goose Helton and West Groth, they have playmakers downfield that can really do damage. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Roughnecks use a similar game plan and trust that Abe Coffin, who obviously was special in that South Division final, and Dalton Smith and Connor Olson and, and Kevin Richardson and Carson Wilder and kind of trust those guys with Thomas Slack too on offense and let Frude and Marshall use their speed and athleticism on D. That would be different from how the Roughnecks have played most of the year. However, wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the game plan that West Nemec and company use. I do think the Roughnecks will have something up their sleeve. That's just kind of the, the way that they're going about their business now. You know, not, not in a deceptive way, but trying to come up with something new and fresh that can't really be scouted. And look, they caught Raleigh off guard, and that isn't necessarily why Raleigh played an off game. I think it was an off night for Raleigh. Dallas came out firing. The Flyers couldn't really ever find their groove, especially defensively, to slow Dallas down. And that was that. Obviously, it would be a special championship for the Roughnecks as well, just to continue that point as the as the Roughnecks look. They've fallen short of championship weekend each of the past two years. But, you know, they look much more dynastic, like a dynasty, if they win this championship and the two titles in four years to start their franchise, including one undefeated season and one win over an undefeated team. And the other two years they went to championship weekend. I mean, they are a dynasty in the South Division. But in terms of being a league dynasty, you you don't just win one title in four years to be a dynasty. You win two titles in four years and go to at least the semifinals in the other years. That is much more dynastic, you know, when we look back on it five, ten years from now. So, obviously there's a lot to think about heading into this weekend I got to fold some laundry and pack up and get myself to the airport and fly cross country and be a part of it, which I'm very excited to do. Broadcasts uh, will be three-person booths throughout the weekend. New York Indy will be myself, Chuck Kindred, Charlie Eisenhood. And uh, excited to be back with Chuck in particular. Chuck, because of his work schedule and the dynamic of how the AUDL schedule shook out, was only with me for one game this year. So I, I can't wait to get Chuck's perspectives. I mean, Chuck has always been an Alley Cats fan. He's obviously, you know, likes a bunch of guys on the Empire, too, from his Bay Area connections and, and with Bo and Grant. And, you know, I think he's always kind of liked New York, too, you know. Chuck has been a team that has like always kind of been waiting for New York and Indy to break through against Toronto and Madison, and now they're here. So I'm delighted that Chuck can be alongside me for that game. And obviously, you know, there's no one that has uh, their finger on the pulse of Ultimate like Charlie Eisenhood, the editor of Ulti World. And uh, I- I'm pretty sure, and I'm not certain about this, but I'm pretty sure that there is just one person, maybe in the world, 
that has seen all four of these championship weekend teams in person this year. And I think it's Charlie Eisenhood because he broadcast games with all four of these teams. I watched and listened. I have not seen the Alley Cats in person this year. I unfortunately had to miss the game on July 6th that Ian and Megan did a great job calling. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of the Alley Cats on film. But I think you have a different perspective about a team when you see them in person. And you see the speed and the body language up close. So, Charlie will have a ton of insight, not just into this one matchup, but into the whole dynamic of championship weekend. So, Chuck and Charlie are with me for New York and Indy. Ian Toner and Megan Tormey will be by my side for the Dallas-San Diego game. And obviously, uh, Megan called the, the West Final with me. Ian called the South Final with me. So they will have plenty of perspective as well. Semifinals again begin at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, 4 o'clock Pacific Time. And should I give my predictions? I mean, I suppose this is the Friday forecast, so I'd be remiss if I did not. I haven't really thought too much about this in terms of scores, but if I if I had to make predictions right now on the spot, I would say that New York will beat Indy by, I want to say four or five. Let's say four. Let's say New York over Indy by four. I'll take Dallas over San Diego. By two, and I will take Dallas over New York by two. Yeah, I look, I think the Empire probably have the best chance to win this thing. If you're breaking down the odds in a pie, I think the Empire are perhaps in the best position to do so. But, I don't know. The, the Dallas team looked so good against Raleigh. And if they play their best, I know they can compete with this New York team. And look, all of New York's best players on offense, thinking about Yacht, Lindsley, Williams in particular, that trio... They are not immune to turnovers. Those are three guys that are capable of making the 50-50 play over and over again. But Dallas is probably going to have the best defense that they've played against all year long. And, you know, I reserve the right to change my predictions if if there are injuries on Saturday or what have you. And, and obviously I'm fine being wrong. But... I think the the way the Roughnecks played down the stretch, particularly in the game against Raleigh, I think they are positioned to win again. And look, New York has went to the semifinals last year, gave Dallas a good fight. New York is obviously better than they were last year. Is Dallas better than they were last year? I think they are which is a little strange to say because, you know, they don't have Chris LaRock, they don't have Matt Jackson, but they add Abe Coffin, they add Gabe Hernandez, 
some of the young guys like Olsen and Marbach and Armour and Miller are a year older and a year better. Thomas Slack was voted, I believe, most underrated player in the South Division by the coaches. He's had a tremendous season and is just a really tough guard who doesn't make mistakes. Like, there are more guys that make mistakes on the New York offense, I would argue, than the Dallas offense. Now, there are probably more guys that are great playmakers on the New York offense as well. But Dallas's O-line has playmakers, even if Fruit and Marshall play D. And, yeah, I, I this may be recency bias. I saw Dallas look great, and I, I have a lot of respect for Raleigh despite their frustrations in these big games and their continued falling short and, and just kind of the dynamic and storyline that emerges from that. It's tough. It's hard to deal with, but I think Dallas-New York has potential to be an, uh, just an amazing game, and, uh, you know, as does San Diego-New York or Indy-Dallas or Indy-San Diego. Wouldn't that be nuts if it's Indy and San Diego on Sunday for the title? I'll tell you, I'd be fascinated by that matchup. Like, third-place games aren't for me. They're not fun, I don't think. Like, they have them in the World Cup and – some other sports, they do third-place games. I don't think we should do a third-place game, but I'll tell you, having a, a 9 a.m. Pacific time losers play, I mean, no one wants to do that because the losers want to go out and have fun in San Jose on Saturday night. I understand that. But Indy-San Diego followed by New York-Dallas, that would be a heck of a doubleheader as well. As it sits, our doubleheader for Saturday night, Indy-New York, San Diego-Dallas, Live on stadium. Hope you'll be tuning in. For now, my name is Evan Leppler. This has been the Championship Weekend Preview on the Friday Forecast. Enjoy the final three games of the 2019 AUDL season. Tuesday toss. We'll recap it all next week. For now, I say so long, and I'll talk to you again soon.